Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. And we'll grab your Bibles this morning. The best part of the service is uh, being in the Word of God, and we are thankful for music and how it lifts our soul. And those who are here Wednesday night, we know the importance of singing, amen? Amen. All right, good. We were encouraged. If you missed Wednesday night, you missed a double blessing. We had fun in service, but we also got to have Pastor Tolbert and Shirley with us, and so you missed a double blessing if you missed Wednesday. Uh, and let me join, invite you to join me in Acts 11 today. You know, over the, you ever notice how things change? Nothing seems to stay the same, and, and especially that's the case with vocabulary. Uh, you know, we used to say, well, man, that's cool. That, that means something totally different uh, in today's vernacular. We think cool, we think of something that uh, maybe is, uh, is uh, neat or something that's, uh, I don't know, even, I don't know another word for cool besides cool anymore, but it can also mean that, man, I'm, I'm cool in this room, not that I am. But, you know, that's a temperature setting. Well, you know, the Internet's really changed things. And I, so I was curious, what words have changed as a result of the Internet? How many of you, when you walk out, said, oh, look at the clouds? Did you ever think that we'd be storing things in the clouds? Words have changed. We just put that in the cloud. You put it in the cloud, really? That's what you did with your information? Yeah, I just stuck it up there. You know, we just changed some things. Uh, or how about friend? Friend used to mean something important, like one who is attached to another by affection or esteem. You know what that means now? It means I follow your social media. Now, we don't even have to know each other. I just follow you. We're friends on Facebook. Isn't that cool? As a matter of fact, when Facebook came out in the late 2000s, I remember thinking, you know, uh, we, we weren't friends until we got Facebook. Now we're friends. You know, things have changed. Or how about ping? You know, when, you, when you're playing baseball and that ball hits the bat and it goes ping, well, that's a, that's a really good sound, isn't it? But now when a ping happens, it's to make contact with someone by making, uh, sending a brief electronic message. Your phone pings. Ping, ping, ping. Some of you it pings more than others. Some of you are still trying to figure out, what is that noise? You know, or how about this one? Text. I read a textbook. How many of you remember textbooks in school? That means something totally different. I just got a text. A whole book? Wow, that's impressive. But the one that probably has hurt us the most is the word follow. Follow used to mean to go or come along behind or after someone uh, or something. In other words, to pursue in an effort to overtake. You know, the policeman followed me to pursue me. Amen? Now it means something totally different. To follow someone means simply to subscribe to someone's updates on social media. When we talk about follow and we talk about following Jesus, this shift in, in some of the basic words can make a big difference. For a millennial or maybe a Gen Zer, when I say, man, you've got to follow Jesus, they're like, oh, I didn't even know they had social media. Are they on, uh, on Facebook? Are they on TikTok? What are they on? I want to find them. 
You know, so we, we do, the, the shift in, in language today has changed a little bit. But following Jesus is more than just clicking a button. Amen? Matter of fact, uh, anybody can do that. Did you know the person who has the most followers on, uh, uh, what is this, Instagram? I don't even have Instagram. Uh, I don't know anything about it, but I know a lot of students do. I barely Facebook, and I don't even like to do that. But this guy is a Portuguese-born soccer player. He has 573 million people that follow his Instagram account. His name is Cristiano Ronaldo. Anybody a follower? No one in this congregation. How about that? Everybody else in the world ever thinks he's something special, but obviously we don't. You know, it's funny how that we choose to follow things, and sometimes we choose not to follow things. And you know, I know my wife likes Pinterest, and she does that a lot. And some of you ladies, you follow each other on Pinterest, right? But some things are not worth following. And this is important for us to remember. There was a man named Eli Black who was a brilliant businessman, but he was best known for two things in his life. The first one was he masterminded a multi-million dollar takeover of the United Fruit Conglomerate. And the second thing he was known for was jumping to his death from the 42nd floor of the Pan Am building in New York City. Who you follow matters. And what you follow matters. And you know, I believe that Jesus Christ knew the importance of that. And when He was here, He didn't say, listen, you're going to do what I want because I'm God. What He said, listen, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life, what? A ransom for many. You see, Jesus Christ, when He came, He came to set the example for all of us to follow. That's why He was baptized. That's why He was willing to uh, lay down His life on the cross. That's why He was willing uh, to every day go seek to, uh, seek to save the lost. You see, Jesus knew we would need someone worthy to follow. And so we see Christ uh, last week, and we saw the glorious example of His sacrifice. In Philippians chapter 2, we saw the emptying of Himself. We saw His willingness, not that He quit being God, uh, but He was willing to uh, clothe uh, Himself in flesh so that He might die for us. What a blessing to know that Jesus Christ is the eternal God, and He came for a purpose. And He says this, there is a definite call for us to follow Him. We're going to look at that in a little bit detail today. Uh, and then what do we do with that call as well? Uh, do we squander it? Do we, and what does that look like? But there was a definite devotion in those that came right after Jesus. Think about the disciples, if you will. We think about it, Peter, James, and John, the inner three. These men were men who gave their life uh, for Jesus Christ. But there was also later would come the Apostle Paul and others that would uh, surely lay down their life. There was Stephen, who was just uh, a man who was willing to say, Lord, whatever you want from my life. Over and over and over again, we see these that were willing to lay down their life for Jesus Christ. For example, P Peter and Paul both were martyred in Rome about 66 AD during the persecution under Nero. They said, listen, we will lay down our life. Peter was uh, crucified upside down at, the, at his request. And then uh, Paul was also, uh, was also uh, martyred for his faith. There was Andrew, Andrew who went to the land of the man-eaters, also known as the Soviet Union, by the way. But Christians there, they, they claim that uh, him as being the first one to bring the gospel into their land. Uh, he also uh, ministered in Asia Minor and Turkey and Greece, where he was said to have been crucified. Thomas, again, uh, he died when uh, he was pierced through with spears of four soldiers. There was Philip who was arrested and put to death. 
There was Matthew, who uh, said he was, uh, uh, reports say he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew, uh, and we see that there are various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr for the gospel. On and on and on, we see where each of these men were willing to lay down their life for the gospel. You see, to follow Jesus in them wasn't just to click a button. It, to follow Jesus for them wasn't just to say, hey, this is, hey, this is something that I think is good for us. Uh, you know, it, it'll be good. It'll give us prosperity. You know, and it'll be, uh, we can make some money if we follow Jesus. That wasn't their intent at all. Their, their intent of following Jesus was something far greater. You see, when they followed Jesus, they followed Him even unto the death. It's easy to see how the word follow has become weakened in our modern usage. You know, when I follow someone, that doesn't mean I'm going to do exactly like them. When I follow someone, that doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily be willing to die if they die. But that's exactly what the biblical concept of this is. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me if you'll lay down your life, if you'll uh, pick up your cross and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. We see that we, uh, as his disciple, we must be willing to die to self on a daily basis. And so the Bible says when they followed Christ, though the result was the world was turned upside down. There was a radical change. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 6, the Bible says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying. And this is the, the lost world's testimony. They said, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These men, these unlearned men, they took notice and they knew that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they were willing to follow Jesus. And so I'm going to draw you back to that first century. And let's go back to the original intent of the word follow. And we're going to see how Christ wants us to follow Him. Not as just this superficial idea, I'm going to follow you on Facebook. I'm going to like the things that you do. But instead, I'm going to emulate everything about you in my life. Acts chapter 11, have you got there? Say amen. 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 Verse 19, let's look there verse, uh, together. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon, uh, upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice uh, and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they uh, were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should uh, go as far as Antioch. And when he came uh, and had seen the grace of God, and was glad, and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord." Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish to, for to seek Saul. And when he had found him and brought him to Antioch, it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught uh, much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's stop and pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word today and for this text that we uh, get to uh, look at a little closer today. And Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus, who is our great example and one that we can uh, follow in that uh, we copy everything about his life. And so let us, Lord, be willing to die. Let us be willing to live. Let us be willing to proclaim just as Jesus was. What a joy it is to know uh, that he is our friend. And we praise you in his precious name. Amen. 
You know, it's a wonderful blessing to minister on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what the Lord, this early church was learning is what a joy it is to serve Jesus. You see, because serving the Lord is not just a destination, it's a journey. It's about learning how to be like Jesus all along the way. And in Acts, as Acts 11 opens, the Apostle Peter is sharing with those Jewish believers in Jerusalem how God opened the door of ministry to the Gentiles. Remember, ministry before this point had pretty much been relegated to the Jewish uh, population. And they'd taken the gospel first to the Jew and then also the Gentile, as uh, Paul would write later in the book of Romans. And so the church then was just beginning this outreach into the Gentiles, and they were just beginning to, uh, to go out and to share the gospel. And the reason they were going out is because they had suffered uh, greatly at the hand of persecution. Matter of fact, in verse number 19, as we open up in this passage, he says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch. And so we see almost like we pick up from Acts chapter number 8. Remember in Acts chapter 8, Stephen was stoned to death and, and then as a result, the church was scattered abroad. And, and when Peter was imprisoned, many of those believers said, listen, we're afraid of being imprisoned like these two men. And so they begin to go out and they begin to come, go into other villages and other towns and different areas. And Antioch was a recipient of some of those believers from Jerusalem. And so believers in Jerusalem would travel 300 miles north to enter into Antioch where they would not only carry with them their jobs, but they would carry with them their, uh, their faith in Christ. And they begin to go into the synagogues and they begin to share with the Jews and they begin to uh, build a following and a gathering and they begin to build churches and not physical buildings, but they built churches in that people were saved and baptized and, and added uh, to that new church in Antioch. And Antioch began to really, uh, the, the believers in Jerusalem began to hear about all that was going on here in Antioch. And they sent Barnabas to go look and see what's going on in Antioch. What's the exciting news? What, what is that that's happening? And so as we come to Acts chapter 11 here, we see a little bit about what's going on. Barnabas for the first time has entered into Antioch since revival has broken out. And, and Barnabas now is seeing what God is doing. He gives them an encouragement and then he goes and finds Paul. He brings Paul back and they spend a year discipling these believers in Antioch. And the result was they were called Christians first in Antioch. You see, the result of Acts chapter number 11 is that, that God took a bad situation of great persecution and some that were even stoned and left for dead, and God used that bad situation to scatter the church out, and then the gospel was carried, and people were saved, and churches began all across the known world because of something bad. You know, sometimes we look at bad situations and say, man, this is terrible, but we don't know the end result on this side of heaven. And that's where we trust in the Lord. Listen, God wasn't against the church. He just didn't want the church to be complacent. He didn't want them to get apathetic. He didn't want them to be satisfied with where things were. Listen, when we lose a vision for the lost, we begin to perish. And it's important that we see, like Barnabas in that early church, that, listen, God's called us out, but listen, it is not enough for us just to be here in Jerusalem. We've got to continue sharing the gospel in all the world. You see... Uh, and we'll get to this in a minute, but Jesus left the glories of heaven to come to earth. And then in turn, He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, how could Christ tell us to go except for the fact that He Himself went? He came. You see, that's the beautiful thing here is that Jesus isn't telling us to do something He wasn't willing. 
And so every single member of that church in Jerusalem heard the same uh, command from Jesus Christ that they ought to go, but it, it became, the, the church began to, to grow and to spread throughout Jerusalem, and then as persecution came, they carried that into the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, the members of the church in Jerusalem throughout the, went throughout the known world carrying the flame of the gospel. Acts chapter number 8, verse 4, this is what the text says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They didn't just hang on to it. You ever, you ever been somewhere, uh, maybe you're, you're at work and you've got a few believers, you know, maybe God is leading you to start a Bible study at your work. Maybe God is leading you to say, listen, God wants me to be a part of carrying the gospel to the unsaved in my, uh, in my uh, uh, Judea. God wants each of us to be part of this great calling. Now, the, we see the primary focus of this text is centered in Antioch. And, and during this time, this is a city of about 200,000 people, and it was the third largest city in, in the Roman Empire, and so it was a, a very uh, a big city for the time. And so Antioch, though, became the very first uh, location of the very first Gentile congregation. And so this church then would become a mother church that would send out other missionaries in Asia and Europe and the Gentile nations. You see, God can take the worst of situations and do something good. And let me just encourage you, God wants to take your life and do something amazing with it. And you may, we look back and we think, Pastor, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand how difficult things are and, and, or how old I am or young I am. And we can come up with excuses. But I want you to see that Christ has still sent out a call. There's still a letter for recruitment, if you will, today. And He desires for you to enlist in the army of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see very first this, this morning our recruitment in verses 19 through 22. As we just see this begin to snowball here in, in, uh, in this passage. Verse number 19. It says, Now when they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as uh, Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them uh, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was great with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. And so in these verses, we see just the beginning of what God had done. You see, at the beginning of Christ's ministry... Christ knew that He would not be here forever. And so He began to call certain men to follow Him. And these twelve disciples would be one that He would invest in, and He would desire for them to continue. Now the sad thing is, is that those that we begin with don't finish with us all the time. And you know, I look back in, in ministry, and sometimes there's those that we have invested in and those that we love that are not always still with us. But God still desires for us to continue to invest in the lives of others behind us. And so we see that Jesus did this exact same thing. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, he be, we see him calling Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he wanted them to leave their uh, family business. He wanted them to, uh, to leave fishing and to follow him. So look in Matthew chapter 4 in your Bible, and we'll see several of these verses where Jesus began to call these disciples at this early uh, place in his ministry. In verse number 17, the Bible says in Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time... Jesus began 
to preach. So first off, we see it's at the beginning of his ministry, and he began to preach, and he began to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the ship and their father, and they followed him. So a couple of things about this situation. First off, we see at the very beginning of Christ's ministry. He, he desired to invest in and to pour into people that would come along behind him and continue to carry the gospel. Christ was no fool. He knew that uh, the, the words that he had to say would be rejected by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he wanted someone who would continue to carry the gospel. He knew that the purpose of him coming was to be the Lamb of God. He would have to lay down his life. And so Christ would be willing to do that. But he spent three and a half years investing in these disciples. Now, when he called them, they were all busy. I love this, and I just want to encourage you. If you want to know what it is that God wants from your life, be busy serving the Lord right where you're at. Be, be willing to say, listen, I'll jump in up and I'll, I'll help at this door. I'll help be a greeter. I'll be willing to serve in the nursery. I'll be willing to, uh, to play with the four and five-year-olds and, and to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ at a young, young age. You know, be willing to jump into ministry right where you're at because that's where God looks for those He's willing to call. And so they were serving their father, uh, James and John, J uh, Peter and Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea. And immediately there was two things they left. They left family and they left their fortunes. And they were willing to follow. You see, when we think about following, most of the time we think about following doesn't cost me anything. But these men knew that if they were willing to obey Jesus, it would cost them something. It would cost them their, their livelihood. It would cost them even uh, maybe some family. Can you imagine if my son was working for me and we're doing a job and we're in the middle of a job and he walked off the job site and followed, uh, followed some vagabond? Can you imagine what that would be like in my mind? I'd probably kick him. I'm not kidding. All right, listen, there's work to do, boy. Get, your, get yourself back over here. Listen, but, but we don't see Zebedee with that kind of uh, displacement there. Instead, we see them willing to leave all that's going on. They're willing to go and to follow Jesus Christ. Listen, it wasn't just a physical willingness to follow Him. Listen, because they knew that this is important. It's important to be close to those that you want to be near, because nearness is likeness. But we also see their lives begin to model and be shaped uh, to be shaped like Jesus Christ. Later, these men would be part of a missionary force that would uh, be sent out by Christ to heal the sick. Now, before, they, before Acts chapter 1, before Acts chapter 2, Jesus would give them one of their very first missionary journeys. And Mark chapter 6, look there in your Bible with me, uh, just a couple of pages over to the right from Matthew, and you'll find Mark chapter 6, verse number 7. And we see Jesus, even, even here in the early part of their ministry, He's taken time to invest in them. Now he wants them to be part of the going force. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, And what place soever you enter into an house... There abide till you depart from that place. 
And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So as Jesus began to send out these, these disciples, he wanted them to be able to, to go by faith and trust him. And so this early ministry was part of learning to follow after Jesus. They'd seen his ministry of going from town to town. They now knew it was their turn to go and to follow Jesus. You see, following Christ means we emulate him in every way in our life. You see, as Christ recruited them, he said, listen, there is, uh, there's something that is bigger than you, something that I want you to surrender your life to, something that you will leave your livelihood, you will even leave your families, and you'll be willing to go. You see, Christ knew that after the Holy Ghost would come upon them, after uh, that, that they would be witnesses, and he told them of this truth. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus is here speaking to these disciples, and he reminds them, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so he was calling these disciples, and said, listen, you've got a great job ahead of you. You've got something that you can't do in your own power. And as, as they went out and they tried to emulate Christ, they realized, listen, we can't do this without your power, without your strength, without your, uh, your calling in our lives. So to truly follow Christ's example mean that they would need to leave the comforts of their Jerusalem home. They would have to carry the gospel into all the world because that's what it meant to follow the example of Jesus Christ. You see, just as left, Christ left the glories of heaven, now they were called to leave the comforts of Jerusalem. Just as Christ was willing to die on the cross, they were called then to die to self and to live for Christ. Just as Christ rose again, so they were called to live for a purpose that was bigger than them. And let me just encourage you, God's calling us still today, and He's still looking for that young man or that young uh, woman to be willing to say, Lord, whatever you want from my life, I will surrender. I will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're not young. Maybe you're 50. Maybe you're 40 like me. Listen, God is still looking for that tender heart that's willing to say, God, whatever you want, wherever you lead, Lord, I will follow you. And not just in a, 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 a way that says, hey, I'll follow you by clicking a button. I'll follow you by dying to self. You see, Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, we, we shared share this at the beginning. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You see, that could not happen by a superficial Christianity. It needed, uh, it needed believers that were completely and totally invested and trusting in the Savior. You see, if our world is ever going to be turned upside down, if Springfield, Missouri is ever going to know the gospel from one end to the other, it's going to be because we are following Jesus. You see, these disciples, uh, these disciples had been willing to follow Christ but if they hadn't, Antioch would not have been included in this passage. If Christians had not been willing to witness, if Barnabas had not been willing to work and be a dis and disciple, the story of Antioch would have been totally different. When Adoniram Judson graduated from college and seminary, he received a call from a very uh, nice, fashionable church in Boston to become the assistant pastor. And everyone congratulated him. His family was elated because he would be close to family. And they thought, oh, this is so wonderful. You're going to be close. You're going to have a good salary. And things are going to be wonderful. But Judson shook his head and he said this, My work is not here. 
God is calling me beyond the seas to stay here, even to serve God in His ministry. I would feel I would be only partial obedience. I could not be happy in this. And so Adoniram Judson, he rejected the call to the ministry in Boston. And as a result, he left his family and he went to Burma where he struggled just to be able to lead one convert to Christ. But by the time he died, 50,000 people had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, he wasn't willing just to settle uh, with, the, with saying, listen, God, I'll be an admirer of you. Instead, he said, listen, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be willing to die with you. I want to be willing to whatever you want. You see, that's the picture that Jesus Christ gave to the disciples. We have a lot of people who admire Jesus today. We have a lot of people who say, man, I like Jesus. He died for me. And a lot of Christians today who, who admire the fact that He died for them, that He rose again, that they have a home in heaven, they admire those things, but they're not truly following Jesus. Because we look at it and we say, man, that's, that's heavy. Pastor, it's Sunday morning. You're not supposed to preach that heavy. But let me just encourage you. God is calling you. And that call hasn't changed. And you know it. What will we do with that call? Let's look at the requirements here because it's just we, we see some things that are happening in Acts. And I want to just point you to some things that uh, the Lord had done. And we see first and foremost, uh, we see, uh, matter of fact, if we go back in the Gospel of John, we remember in our mind that there were multitudes that quote-unquote followed Jesus. But they were fickle. They, one day they would follow Him and, and then He would say something they didn't like and, and they, their devotion was suddenly vanished and they had to go back to work. And we see this in the multitudes. As a matter of fact, John said this in John 6, 1 and 2. He said, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of, uh, over the sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him, listen to their reasoning, because they saw His miracles which He did on them that were diseased. You see, they didn't follow Jesus Christ to emulate His example. They were admirer, admirers of His work. You see, if we're to ever follow Christ, there must be some requirements. And the first one is, we must be willing to preach the Word. And you say, well, pastor, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. But you don't understand. The word preach means proclaim. You see, we can all be proclaimers of the gospel from the oldest to the youngest. Man, I sometimes when I go out with my kids and, and they're passing out tracts, I get under conviction because I realize, man, that's, that, I should be leading the way here. But here's my children, not called to be a pastor, not called to be a missionary, but what they're doing is they're saying, Lord, whatever you want, I'll proclaim the gospel. You see, every single one of us can proclaim the gospel of Christ. I know several of you have testimonies that you shared with me that someone gave you a, a gospel track. You took that track and maybe didn't read it right away, but you read it later and you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as, as later in your life. Listen, let me just encourage you. You can preach the gospel without even opening your mouth. But it's, it, but it's a lot easier to understand when we're willing to open our mouth. Amen? Jesus, uh, when Paul was here, he said this. He said, I don't care about anything else but preaching the Word of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, or declaring to, unto you the good testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, Paul preached to the church in Corinth the truth of Christ. And in his letter, he dealt with some sinfulness that infected the body of the church. But really, he knew that it was clear preaching that would change their lives. And so he preached. He preached the gospel. You see, the center of every message was that Jesus is the Christ. 
is the center of every message was that he died on the cross for their sins. He, the center of the message was that he rose again for their justification. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching Jesus. You see, those who would trim the message, those who don't want to sing nothing but the blood, those that want to I say, well, listen, uh, it's, it's, it's not just one way, there's many ways. Anytime you change the gospel, you're, you're, uh, you're changing Jesus Christ. Let me just encourage you, Bible doctrine is important. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In our, in our messages every week, I try to I just give you doctrine because it is so important that we know what the Word of God teaches. You see, we live in an, in an age of delusion. And so often we can, uh, if you're not grounded, the Bible says that you could be blown about with every wind of doctrine. And I want to encourage you, that listen, to hear it Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, it's probably not enough. You need it every single day. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to let the Word preach to us so that we can preach it to others. You see, the early apostles didn't have what we have today. They didn't have the Bible. You see, they didn't have a completed uh, canon of Scripture where they could come and they could, and they could open it in the mornings and study it and memorize it and share it with others. You see, what they had to do, they just had portions of the Old Testament. And they would take the portions of the Old Testament and they would point to the cross. And they would take this portion of the Old Testament and they would point to the cross. And what Christ had revealed, they would repeat that and they would share that. And eventually God inspired men to pin these things and then they put it together in the canon of Scripture. And eventually in the 1500s, they, we had the printing press and it made possible for all of us to receive a copy of the Word of God. Listen, it wasn't there in that first century. But they still were able to turn the world upside down because they trusted God and they proclaimed the truth. The second thing we see here in, in this passage is they were also encouraged by Barnabas that they would cleave unto the Lord. Verse number 23. It says, Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So when Barnabas arrived at Antioch, he was glad. Man, God was doing a great work there. The members of the church there were in favor with one another. There was a unity. There was a spirit of grace. And so the message Barnabas had, had for them was simply cleave to Christ. The word cleave is the Greek word prosmino, which means it means to remain, to stay with, or continue. He was telling this church, he said, listen, when things get difficult, don't give up on Christ. When things become a little rough and, and maybe the way's a little dark, let me just encourage you, continue to be faithful to the one that died for you. Listen, there's going to be all kinds of winds of dark, dark uh, doctrines that come, but I want to encourage you, cling to the Christ of the, of the Bible. Cling to the Word of God. Don't give up on those truths. And so he's trying to encourage them, cleave to Christ in all of these things. And so we see this. This is exactly what had happened. If we read down a little further, we see that Barnabas got Saul and they brought him to Antioch and they spent a year there together in verse number 26. And the very end of 26 says, And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now this is, this is neat. You think, oh, this is kind of neat. Now we know why we're called Christians. But this was not a good term to start with. Matter of fact, it was used as a derogatory term. Like, there goes those Christians. Uh, and what it meant was little Christs. Uh, they wanted to see these people crucified as well. They wanted to see them eradicated as well. But listen, their life 
was so uh, radically following Jesus that they were giving a name that they were little Christs. These little Christians, everywhere they went, these people that looked just like the one that we crucified on the cross. Fifty years ago, it was popular in America to be a Christian. To go to school even 20-something years ago when I was in high school, I remember thinking uh, 22 years ago, it was still popular to be a Christian. And some of our, uh, our places, in a, even in our community, that's still the case, but not in every place. If you go to some public schools, if you say you're a Christian, oftentimes you're, uh, you are uh, bullied or uh, belittled and different things happen as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ. You're called names, uh, haters, or, or all, all kinds of names because of people's misconception. But you know, as we see the culture change, it doesn't change the fact that God still desires us to be Christ-like in every way. I want people to look at, at my life and say, when I'm driving down the road, that's my goal, is that even in my driving, someone could say, oh, there's a Christian. Now that's going to take an act of God, I'm not going to lie. But that's my goal one day, that someone will be able to see my truck going down the road and say, oh, look, that must be a Christian. Look how kind they are. I'm still learning. My kids said, I got back from the Philippines, they said, Dad, you learned how to drive in the Philippines when you were there. That's not a compliment, Amen. <laughs> And so, anyways, it was a funny, funny thing. But I want, to, I want to just encourage you that God would let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, a true follower of Jesus Christ must be willing to love the Lord even above everything else. When Christ was here and He's talking to the multitudes, we, we see that He turned to them and He began to talk to them what, about what it means to be a disciple. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. It says, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come unto me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, well, Jesus wasn't telling me to hate my wife. He wasn't telling me to hate my mom and my dad. He was saying, listen, your love for me ought to surpass your love for anything else in this world. What do you love today? Sometimes we, we know that maybe God is leading in my life. Maybe I, it's time for me to step out in faith and to serve Him. And maybe He's calling you to do something different this year and to serve Him in a greater way. But maybe you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of uh, maybe what others will think. You're afraid of all kinds of different things. And Christ said, what do you love the most? I want to share with you one final thing, and we'll be done this morning very quickly, is our resolve. I was thinking about that old hymn. As a matter of fact, I, I meant to, to grab it. I'd actually printed it, but I'm, forgive me, I'm going to pull open my phone in church. I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. You see, what it means to be resolved is, listen, God, I've made a resolve that I'm going to follow you. All the things of this world are, are, are not as important as just simply, Lord, I want to uh, follow after you in everything. 
Some people will hear this message and, and leave just like they came, unchanged, nothing, nothing there. Some, some, uh, some will hear this message and they'll begin to genuinely ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, how can I surrender my life to you? God, what would you do with this life? Lord, it's not much, but whatever it is, God, I surrender all to you. One of the greatest missionary examples of commitment to Christ from the 20th century was a man named Jim Elliott, a tremendous missionary who laid down his life to reach the Aka Indians in Ecuador. He said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Some are satisfied with just being an admirer. You're satisfied with watching others labor for the cause of Christ. I want the children's program, make sure that they're there in their place, but I'm not willing to help with it. You know, I want this in the church, and I want the church to serve me, and we forget that, listen, it's never been about what the church can do for me, but Lord, how can I serve others? One day we'll stand before the Lord, and there'll be rewards for, for, for people who follow Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And one day when I stand before Him, everything that I've, I've done will go through that testing, and when it is pure, it will come out as gold, silver, precious stones. But when it's just, maybe it's for naught, or maybe I don't serve Him at all, I'll have nothing to bring before the throne of Jesus. Listen, we're not the first ones to struggle under fear of surrender. We're not the first ones to say, listen, I'm afraid of how I'm going to take care of myself financially. I'm afraid of what my family will say. I'm afraid of if I step out by faith, what will really happen next? Let me just encourage you that God knows what He's doing. If He calls your life, He's going to also sustain you through this. Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. A certain scribe came to Jesus, and he said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And so Jesus began to lay out some requirements, what it's going to take to follow me. And he said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He says, Do you love this world? Do you love your, your home? Do you love the things that you have more than you love me? You're not ready. And another one comes to him, another of his disciples said to him, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. He said, Listen, what do you love the most? You see, to follow Christ feels overwhelming. And this is the exact type of humility and the submission that Christ demonstrated. But the result, when, we, when we're willing to say, Lord, I will follow you. I will surrender my life. Lord, I'll surrender uh, though I'm feeling anxious or fearful or afraid. Lord, I'm going to lay down my life to you because God, I trust that you're going to get me through this. What a difference He can make in your life. Maybe God's calling you to be a Sunday school teacher, serve in the choir, maybe go soul winning. Maybe you're here and you say, well, I used to do those things, but... And you have excuses that follow. But today I want just to inspire you. God wants each of us to, to be back in the race serving the Lord. He says in Luke 14, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Are you a follower or an admirer today? 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to the northeast India area in order to spread the gospel. And the region was known as Assam. And this was comprised of about a hundred tribes of primitive and very aggressive headhunters. 
And into these hostile and, and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from American Baptist missions. And they began spreading the message of love, and they began to spread the message of peace and hope in Jesus Christ. And so naturally, they weren't welcomed with open arms unless it was on a platter. All right, there was a joke. Come on. So, as a result, one missionary succeeded in converting a man and his wife and his two children because he was diligent. He, he just stayed at it. And this man, this man who uh, came to the Lord Jesus Christ, his faith was contagious, and others began to know the Lord, and, others, and, and other villagers began to accept Christianity. Well, the chief was very angry at all that had happened. And he called the family who had first converted to Christianity to renounce their faith in public or face execution. And so moved by the Holy Spirit of God, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged, this local tribesman uh, just in, ordered his archers to arrow down both of his children, and they shot and killed his children. And both boys lay on the floor twitching in the last throes of life. The chief asks, will you deny your faith? You've lost both your, of your children. Will you lose your wife too? But the man replied, Though none joins me, still I will follow. You see, that's what it means to follow Jesus, to follow His example. God, whatever you want in this life, Lord, I humbly lay it at your altar. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, Stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?